Welcome to the Protein Production Technology International Podcast. We explore the latest advancements in alternative proteins, from cultured meats to plant-based proteins. We talk to experts and innovators who are working towards a more sustainable, efficient, and kind protein system. Join us as we dive into the exciting possibilities of the alternative protein industry. Uh, welcome to this Protein Production Technology interview with uh, Andy Shovel. He's the founder and co-CEO of the UK plant-based food company, This. Um, so Andy, Happy New Year. Welcome. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. And now before we get into This as a company, could we just explore your own journey into food tech? Yeah, sure. So um, it's, it's not necessarily completely conventional in the sense that uh, me and my co-founder Pete uh, started a business called Chosen Bun, and essentially we sold meat for a living. It was a burger takeaway and restaurant business, and uh, you know we sold meat and chicken by the ton. Uh, and then in 2016, we sold the business. We kind of uh, decided together to get into sustainability somehow, uh, and then in the end, we we um, figured out that there would be a great opportunity in uh, the plant-based category in the UK to do some uh, disruptive NPD work or new product development work and some disruptive branding. And, and just, we felt like we could execute in a really exciting way. Um, and we also knew given the product quality at the time uh, that was available on the market, we knew we had to lean in really hard to the product development and the tech side of things. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. Okay, I mean, what, what inspired you to actually create this? Uh, just out of interest, how did you come up with the name? Yeah. Um, so first, well, taking the second question first, um, I was brainstorming for quite a long time. And of the two of us, me and Pete, I'm, I'm the sort of more brandy one. So it's more my responsibility. And I, um, in the end, I must give credit to my ex-girlfriend because <laughs> she said about 15 words uh, through, you know, during an hour long brainstorm, she, she was doing a little passage of 15 words. And when I heard this, which is one of the words, I was like, yes, that. And she's like, what, which one? I was like, this. And so so um, my, my kind of ex-girlfriend was really helpful in helping me. <laughs> um, if, uh, if if we'd have got married and then divorced, I'd be worried about some sort of claim, but uh, we're not together anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't do um, that. <laughs> so, um, so that's how the name came about. And I wanted a name that was short, punchy, different, and um, something that emphasized the products, if that was possible. That was part of my kind of brief to myself when I was trying to brainstorm names. Um, so I think this is for me a good name and I like that it confuses people sometimes. I think it's fun. Um, you know, what are we going to have for dinner? Let's have this for dinner. Like, what? If people don't know, it, it can be quite confusing, which I quite enjoy. Yeah. Um, well, we're going then, to come on to that marketing strategy in a minute. So, um, it's good that you're the brains behind all of that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and then going back to your other question of what inspired me, the answer to, uh, that question has changed a lot over time but back then what inspired me was that like quite unromantic reasons really i thought it would be a great uh, category to get into was ripe for disruption i was excited and pete was excited by what was going on in the states at the time with beyond meat and impossible foods um and i know that some you know got mixed reputation now but but back then um it was very very exciting for that work you know in that plant-based world and we also, to be fair, wanted to get into sustainability, but neither of us were vegans at the time, you know, back in 2017. And then shortly afterwards, I did become a plant-based, first vegetarian, then fully plant-based a few years ago. And mm -hmm. fast forward to now, 
I'm like completely mission driven, having not really been that mission driven before. Um, I'm a very passionate animal lover and I believe uh, very strongly in improving animal rights. And so I've had quite a journey personally in terms of um, how mission driven I am now versus what I was before. Well, you've answered my next question um, already there. So I was going to ask you how you classify yourself when it comes to your dietary status and the reasons behind that. But you've just answered them perfectly. Um, So obviously, we'll focus more today on the future. But for a second, let's look back on 2023 and some of the key milestones of what was a a tremendously successful year for you guys as a company. Um, What were some of those highlights? I mean, you seem to buck the trend of what was seemingly going on elsewhere in industry um, with lots of growth. Yeah, we did. Um, the category at large declined about 5% last year. Uh, and we are fif- uh, 45% up in terms of our sales. So we've definitely bucked the trend. We're the highest performing uh, plant-based brand in the UK in terms of growth um, in that year, 23. Um, so uh, yeah, highlights, I guess, were um, quite a few successful launches. So one of them I was absolutely terrified about was our new roast product. Uh, which is kind of a almost a double chicken breast with stuffing in it um, mm-hmm. and then some garlic kind of plant-based butter on top. And I think it's fair to say the the management team at this, we were all quite terrified because the price point's close to six pounds and we were like, oh my God, uh, no one's going to buy it. It's so expensive and the product quality is great, but we still were just terrified. And then it launched, it's just flown. Um, mm-hmm. It's had during the Christmas weeks, at least as well, it had a rate of sale of about 20 uh, across the retailers and just to put that in context that puts it as one of the highest performing products in the entire category and it's wow. six pounds um so that product's been really really successful um another highlight for us is is uh, how we've seen sausages grow in popularity so our plant-based sausages um they're only they've only been in the market for probably about a year and a half two years uh, and they're now a very clear number two after richmond sausages um, chasing them down, actually. And I, I do believe they've got a good chance of being number one. Um, and um, so so watching that uh, has been very satisfying, not just because of the obvious reasons that it's great to have a successful product, but another reason is that for quite a while when we launched, we were sort of the bacon guys. And um, we were very keen internally to um, become much more than that and to become a kind of full service plant-based brand for people uh, across different product types. So watching these different products become popular has been very, very rewarding because that was always our objective to, to be more than just the kind of plant-based baking guys that we were at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I, not many interviews I can actually say this, but I have tried your products and uh, particularly the sausages, the the pork and onion, well, not pork and onion, as I should say. Yeah. Um, very good. Uh, even my son, uh, my son liked it. So um, yeah, I was so surprised because yeah, they are some of these products, not yours, uh, are hit and miss. But um, we'll probably talk about that uh, a bit later. And one of the things that stood out for me, and probably why I bought that package, uh, that that particular product, was the way it looked on the shelf. Now, this has a very distinctive brand. Uh, it's very striking, and your marketing and advertising campaigns are often witty and tongue in cheek. You seem to take yourself not too seriously, but I guess that's not the case. Um, so, what's the thinking behind that, and how much of a role do you think your your marketing, your brand has played in your success? Um, so I think the approach is uh, very deliberate and it might seem sometimes a bit sort of silly and chaotic, but it's all a very deliberate attempt to, I guess, recognize that people have often negative preconceptions about plant-based meat alternatives and about veganism in general. 
So I think what we try and do with our branding and marketing is disarm people's uh, defenses and preconceptions by having a laugh and entertaining them and shocking them and surprising them. And so we want to drive people to consideration and then eventually trial of our products through um, basically just being an entertaining brand. Sometimes I, I try and think of us as a as a sort of media company that happens to sell food. Um, like, I think we have such a challenge. We've always had such a challenge on our hands that, that a lot of sort of day-to-day meat eaters are very skeptical, not only of the products in the plant-based category, but of the whole movement. You know, it's it's kind of, um, oh, no, that's not for me. Like, it's, I'm not the sort of bloke or lady that, that wants to, uh, you know, be associated with veganism. That's not me. Um, so we, we've had to work really hard, basically, to, to be relatable and to tell people through our comms and our branding. Well, actually, it, it could be for you. It could be for anyone. And, and I think we've tried to be a sort of refreshing uh, different sort of voice in in the category um and so yeah and then the other part of the question was um what uh you know ch- how much we can uh, credit our success to, uh, to to that sort of side of things with the branding and, and the comms i would say probably um the reasons when people ask like you know why, why have we managed to make good headway in the category i'd say probably 50 percent brand 50 percent product um there's not a whole lot else to it that that, that people see if you're oversimplifying. Obviously, we have every function in the business, you know, is doing an amazing job to make it happen, whether it's finance or ops. But when it comes to probably why the consumer decides to buy and then to buy again and again, it's probably product and brand. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's it's one thing to get a customer to buy your product once, but to get them to come back and back and back, that's the, uh, that's yeah. the crux, isn't it? Um, yeah. so what strategies have you found most effective in reaching, engaging with those consumers in the plant-based sector and not just the plant-based sector but trying to attract you know people like me a flexitarian i guess yeah so a few different things i guess um on the marketing side um in the early days especially although we still do them uh, we were sort of um we are and we were very active making stunt videos um so so our thing would be to sort of uh i don't know we had a steak funeral for bacon when we launched our bacon products uh <laughs> plant-based streaky bacon we like took over you know a little bit of london with with a procession of you know, there was a coffin and a hearse and, and just a marching band. Um, we've uh, put forged Van Gogh painting with our mints hidden in it in the Van Gogh gallery in Amsterdam. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we replaced the picture of bacon with our plant-based bacon on Wikipedia for a few months. Like we, we've done like loads of these stunts and we tend to um, record them and then put them online. Uh, sometimes they get in the press. And I think I think it's uh, been a great strategy for us to um, become sort of notorious almost like mm-hmm. like when it's kind of end of March, we get loads of comments and messages on social media being like, can't wait to see what you're going to do this April Fool's. Um, mm-hmm. And I really that really always makes me happy when when I see that people kind of, you know, hold us up as a as a beacon of silliness in, in uh, <laughs> you know, FMCG. Um, <laughs> and and I think it's what's helped us get a really high brand love score so otherwise known as mps score um uh, it's something like 90 percent. so so 90 percent of people who have tried the brand would recommend it to, to other people basically um and i think it's testament to products but also like the, the way the brand engages with, with people um mm-hmm. so yeah i think it's been uh, a successful approach and, and we've tried to translate that into you know the, the sort of like let's say the more grown-up formats and channels that we've now been using so outdoor advertising tv you know on our outdoor campaign we had like silly 
puns and stuff and and our tv ad we made kind of silly as well with a, a very well-known food critic grace dent and she, we sort of trick her in the tv ad um i'm actually the sound guy <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um which i was very pleased with myself for being an extra and sort of saying i'll do that and then and then i saw in the news recently that donald trump did the same thing uh when he insisted on uh, being an extra in home alone if they used his hotel he was like so it just made me think god am i like donald trump so i insisted on being an extra in our tbs <laughs> um, but, um, nothing like donald trump nothing like donald trump now i saw it was, was it you guys recently that you did that uh stunt in, in downing street was it while cop was going on was that was uh that no that, that that you know what that wasn't us um it was actually a genuine photograph taken uh of um just stop oil protesters uh, sort of, you know, clashing with that police, and, yes, and there, yes. there happened to be one of our buses in the background. You know, one of our advertisements on buses. It was absolutely insane. Like such a good photo. Um, it's a one in a million chance, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't anything to do with us. We just contacted the photographer and asked him, "Would you use it?" Yeah. Um, how do you navigate the marketing challenges associated with um, positioning your products to appeal to both meat eaters uh, and those already following a plant-based diet? Yeah, well, it can be unbelievably difficult because in the eyes of some like more hardline vegans, you know, sometimes we're not vegan enough um, and it upsets people. And sometimes we've had negative feedback from some of the vegan community, uh, a couple of like individual sort of flashpoints in the past in particular um, have uh, have been, you know, sort of worrying at the time. Um, and then, of course, on the flip side, we've got to be careful not to be too vegan for the mainstream, because if you're too vegan, uh, and you configure all of your sort of comms, your tone of voice for vegan people, then you will not appeal to the mainstream, which is obviously a big downside. So in answer to your question, it's a real tightrope and it's very, very challenging. And sometimes we get it wrong um, because if you're, you know, really pushing the envelope with something, then you will always just end up getting it a bit wrong at some mm -hmm. point. Um, so yeah, it's it's really difficult to be honest. And I think like I felt maybe, maybe I've been, misplaced in my confidence but i felt quite well qualified to try and walk the tightrope because i am a very very passionate animal lover and plant-based you know i have a plant-based diet um but on the other hand i probably am like a slightly more user-friendly than some of the other very passionate vegans i've come across mm -hmm. um you know having had a meat business and being in business just generally like i don't know i feel like i i i get it and i feel like i get what the mainstream relates to yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, now, how do you leverage consumer feedback uh, and market trends also um, to inform your marketing strategies and product development initiatives? Um, historically, we've not done a huge amount of consumer testing. We've just kind of like backed ourselves when when it comes to new products. Um, we're now starting to do more, especially for some of the more important launches. Um, perhaps we'll go into that later in terms of like future stuff. Um, but yeah, historically, we haven't done a huge amount of uh, consumer testing. Um, you know, we've got a team of 60 people, so we tend to test a lot with them and do surveys with them. Um, and that's helpful. Um, in terms of um, what was the other part of your question after the... Um... Uh, it was um, leveraging consumer feedback and market trends to inform your strategies and product yes. development as well. So yeah, market trends, like we buy a huge amount of data. So um, we buy sort of market data to tell us uh, what the best performing products are and which brands are doing well and uh, who the you know consumers are who are buying each product and when and how so like we do leverage um you know what's going on in the market quite a lot 
whether or not that constitutes like looking at trends, I don't really know. I th- think it can be quite dangerous looking at trends in plant-based because it's a very, very fast moving, like fast evolving market. Um, and I think what we've tried to do is, is be ahead of the curve almost when it comes to trends. Um, you know, like when we launched our streaky plant-based bacon, it was really unlike anything really that, that had kind of come before it. Um, and we've done that a couple of times uh, in the past. Like when we launched our original bacon back in 2019, when we launched the business, like that was also quite different to anything that was on the market. Um, and so I think we're quite keen to not really be led by trends, but kind of almost try and blaze a trail ourselves. It's almost like the I'm quite a big believer in the um, the Henry Ford quote, which I will definitely get wrong, which is something like, uh, if I'd have, if I'd have asked the people what they want, they would have told me a faster horse. Um, and I think the point of the quote is, is is like you know consumers don't always know what the next trend is that they will be excited by, and it takes mm-hmm. an innovator uh, or an innovative company to create that. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about innovation and new product development now. Um, we've talked about how you differentiate yourself from other brands in the market with your marketing and branding, etc. Um, but so how do you do that in terms of taste? Um, texture and variety? So I guess the short answer is we have a very talented, quite large innovation function in the business. So uh, we've got a team of about 20 who purely are food scientists. There are no, you know, our entire innovation team are scientists, basically. And we also have um, our own pilot scale and large scale high moisture extrusion machines which I think is quite unusual for for brands uh, it's quite a big investment to have those pieces of kit um, but it means we can iterate a lot and we can experiment a lot and kind of push the boundaries when it comes to extrusion technology um, and we've got a few people on on the the innovation team who are I suppose uh, uh, almost a subsection of that team who focus purely on science um, so what that means is they're looking at tomorrow's, they're always looking at kind of tomorrow's innovation rather than what's going on today. You know, they'll look one, two, three years ahead. Um, and so that's now starting to, because I suppose we introduced that sort of um, section of the team maybe two years ago. So we're now starting to see the benefits of that. So when it comes to fat systems, for instance, I'd say we're at the very leading edge globally of of you know what's possible in plant-based uh we've got some very clever fat systems in our products so why are they clever like well take our sausages for example our sausages are actually quite low in fat they're low in saturated fat um 85 lower than uh, pork in terms of saturated fat and yet um they taste as succulent i would say um there's really good kind of uh juiciness and tastes like you're having a fatty product when really you're not and we leverage kind of like trapped water in our fat system and all sorts of clever things basically um and so you know sometimes you get companies especially historically in the plant-based space who i personally think do science for the sake of getting vc investment i won't name names but i really think that's been quite a common thing um, mm-hmm. Whereas I think we try very hard to do science for consumers and for, for, for that taste and texture, um, which sounds obvious, but genuinely, I do think quite a lot of companies in the past have done sort of vanity projects to try and raise millions of pounds. Yeah. Yeah, certainly that definitely goes on. I mean, you've got quite a large range. I mean, what ingredients are you using in these products? Is it, is it different for different products? Yeah, it is. It is different, but there are some some ingredients that are quite commonly used in our range. So we use a lot of um, protein from peas. Uh, we use soy protein as well. 
Um, we use olive oil for fats, uh, for various fat systems and different products. Um, so those are probably the most commonly used ingredients. And then there's a sort of mixture of other ingredients. But we we try and be, uh, you know, the cleanest label products in our kind of subcategory. So um, we normally succeed, I think, uh, not always, but but we're definitely on the cleaner label side of things when it comes to plant-based at the moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's difficult probably for you to answer this one because you have such a wide array of products, but are there any specific challenges or breakthroughs in R&D um, that you encountered while striving um, to replicate those characteristics of uh, meat in plant-based alternatives? Yeah, um, there's a product that's just launched recently. Um, when I say recently, I mean uh, three days ago um, in, in the restaurant sector. So it's our wings. Um, okay. They've basically got uh, like skin on them. And they have a texture of essentially a sort of confit chicken wing. So really, really fall apart kind of like uh, succulent, um, tender meat. And I, and I have to say, it's like an absolute beacon of, of kind of excellence, I would say, in, in, in terms of R&D. Um, mm-hmm. the, way that, the way that sort of system um, was discovered for making that product was, was actually, uh, I think... Um, it's called a what do we call it a play day so so um i think the innovation director's idea was basically must have been about two years ago um the innovation team just had this play day where they didn't focus on their usual work at all and they just basically went in a room and just had a play and they could do whatever they want and one of the scientists who's sadly left the business now actually um she was just playing around and and came up with this way of uh, putting the sort of plant-based meat together, uh, which led to this essentially this product. So there'll be more products using the same technology actually coming out this year, and I just can't stress enough how insane this is. Like it's all encapsulated within this skin, and what that means is you get the realistic skin which crisps up and stuff, but then you also get like this succulence because it's all trapped in the skin, mm-hmm. and so you have a product which I would say is more succulent than chicken. Um, and it's got this dark meat texture. It's just completely bonkers. Mm-hmm. So that's been a really exciting product. And I've, you know, been so, so uh, G'd up about that launching. I'm actually going to go and try it in Brewdog, which is the first uh, restaurant partner to have launched it. Um, and um, otherwise challenges. Yeah, like oh, we've had such a nightmare with one of our products, which is just so high potential. So our streaky bacon um it's it's doing well and it's you know i think it'll be the best selling uh, plant based bacon hopefully for a long time however uh, we've had some teething problems with it because what we've done is um we created this kind of um plant based muscle uh bonded to fat to create like a streaky bacon yeah. that's quite a first i would say for the category um and we we found that um when we launched it in january last year like it was, we were struggling to keep it bonded to, uh, together. So when you took it out of the pack, it was coming apart. Yeah. And it was just a shame because the product's so great when it's when it works. We've now pretty much fixed it, which is brilliant. But I think we've got a bit of a job on our hands to get people to try it again, um, right? Because I think we had some problems. So, so that's an example of us, you know, really pushing the boundaries of what's possible, and you know, uh, having some difficulties along the way, I guess. That's another one of your products that I've tried. I've had it uh, in a in a plant based burger. We're a burger family yeah. <laughs> um, traditionally, um, so we decided to have a plant based evening. So the bun was plant based, the burger was plant based, the mayonnaise was plant based, and we used your um, 
bacon as well. So um, I was impressed with the way it cooked. I was great. impressed with the way it cooks and it tasted great as well. So it's great. a difficult Thanks. one to replicate, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So uh, can you shed any light on how you're um, approaching partnerships and collaborations within the food industry to expand your, your reach or develop new products? I mean, presumably you're collaborating with chefs and experts to, to sort of enhance your culinary range. I've not got that much for you on that front, actually. We, we don't really collaborate much with uh, with chefs, um, certainly not kind of well-known chefs. Um, we're hoping to do a bit more on the collaboration front uh, this year and, and next year. So we'd love to collaborate with kind of big, well-known brands of, say, Source or um, maybe like big restaurant chains that are also in retail. That's, that's an objective mm -hmm. this year. Um, but historically, we haven't done that much. We've done a lot just internally. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to think of collaborations, which I mean, we've done um, uh, these bacon flavored hippie crisps with hippies. Um, okay. So that was pretty fun. Um, we've also collaborated with uh, um, what are they called? Hip chocolate, um, which is a vegan chocolate brand. And we made a bacon flavored Easter egg. Um, <laughs> and um, what else have we done? Nothing, nothing that I can think of. I mean, obviously we have partnerships with uh, loads of restaurant chains. So I'm not sure if that falls into, you know, your kind of collaboration bucket or not, but we've, we've got tons of uh, incredible partnerships with restaurant chains like Greg's or Cafe Nero um, or, uh, you know, Brewdog, as I mentioned, Patty and Barn, like loads of different chains, um, Ask Italian. Um, so yeah, we, we do collaborate in that sense because they, they uh, put us on their menus and their marketing materials um, so yeah, there's, there's lots going on in the restaurant space. How much of your business is actually in food service versus retail? Yes, yeah, so it's about 25%, uh, yeah, just mm -hmm. 25, 30% depending on the month. Yeah, I guess it's an important avenue for reaching mm -hmm. those consumers, isn't it? Uh, now we're yeah. going to talk about the UK market specifically and consolidation in the market. So in 2023 in the UK, we saw a few notable brands, unfortunately, go into administration, some of which were rescued, um, others not so lucky. Uh, what do you think is happening in the market at the moment? I think what's happening is very unexotic and conventional, which is that you have, and it happens a lot in different categories. So you have a sort of over proliferation stage where there's kind of hype and everyone goes, oh God, I better get a piece of that. And then they come into the market leading to way too many brands and products in the market. Same happened with craft beer a few years ago. Uh, same happened with popcorn. Same happened with coconut water. Same happened with smoothies in the mid-noughties. Mid like it just um, always happens. And people in plant-based, uh, sorry, the, the press rather, um, have been much more sort of uh, emotional and excitable when it comes to the, you know, the same journey in plant-based because I think there's sort of politics behind it and um, sometimes you it's get... It's anti-veganism, would you say? Yeah, I think there's a very strong anti-vegan sentiment in the press. Maybe it's because of the demographics on the whole of the people who are writing the articles. Don't know. Um but yeah, that there is definitely, um, especially the right wing press. I mean, the Telegraph is foaming at the mouth, right? They every week there's a new like hit piece on plant based in the Telegraph, and it must yeah. be due to it must be due to the politics and the demographics of the people writing there. Um, but basically, um, yeah, what's going on in our market is very conventional. It's now correcting and consolidating, which has happened in all those other categories I mentioned, and. It's consolidating around a few brands of which we are one of them. Um, and 
it's actually a good thing because consumers will be left with like higher quality, fewer products, it'll be less confusing to shop. Um, and I think that um, we're probably halfway through the consolidation phase. There's been quite a lot of consolidating, but we've still got more to go. Um, and the overall market size, you know, has, contra- has contracted slightly and it will continue to do so. And then I think it will normalize and start to grow again, steady growth. Yeah. Um, even in spite of all the headlights. Yeah, well, it's not a cause for overall concern for the sector then. No, I wouldn't say so. I think it's actually a good thing. Uh, it's a cause for brand, it's a cause for concern if you are a brand in the sector who is not delivering excellence in terms of product or brand. Mm-hmm. As we've seen, as you mentioned, some some brands going into administration having to exit the category. Um, but that's kind of just free market economics. Like, did, you, you could argue that they, you know, it's, it's sort of, slightly tough love isn't it like you, if the products aren't good enough and then and they're not satisfying consumers or they're not satisfying a, a need that, that that is you know necessary then then it's not surprising yeah and that is the truth um you know some of the products aren't good enough and i interviewed someone a few weeks ago um it was for an article about hybrid foods or blended products um in the same issue that you're you're going to be featured and he mentioned two of the leading brands in the usa i won't name them but you can probably guess who they are and he just said they're not very good they're not very good so um in your experience what have been some of the primary hurdles um for the plant-based industry in gaining widespread acceptance and market penetration and you've achieved this so Mm. the 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 biggest difficulty with the the plant-based category faces is the unfair subsidies uh and therefore unfair price differential between meat and plant-based so to elaborate just a bit further, um, the meat industry survives on subsidies and not just subsidies that everybody knows about, which is the ones from uh, central government and from the EU, but but there are also subsidies from supermarkets because supermarkets take less margin on, on meat products than they do on plant-based, sometimes half or even more than that in terms of a difference. So what that means is uh, if supermarkets are taking I don't know, X percent, call it 30, 40% margin on our products. And let's say that the supermarkets decide that, well, they have decided that meat is, is an everyday product and it can be a loss leader for them, so they'll take 10% margin on it. That difference in margin represents an enormous difference in price to the end consumer. So you've got the subsidies from government, you've got the subsidies from the EU, you've got subsidies being thrown at the meat industry to prop it up, and then you've also got subsidies from the supermarkets themselves, which means that, there is a very, very uh, uh, discordant um, pricing uh, dynamic between plant-based products and meat. And that's the biggest challenge for sure. Um, Because if you took away the subsidies uh, from government and from supermarkets, then meat products like chicken breast or mince beef, whatever, they would end up costing eight quid, nine quid, 10 quid each pack um instead of instead of two pounds fifty um the the business doesn't work on its own um because turns out rearing animals takes more energy and and you know other resources and money and feed than than our insatiable appetite for low prices can allow Mm -hmm. so that's probably the the biggest challenge i would say um Mm -hmm. is, is that price difference because we have to work so much harder to get price parity with meat yeah. Um, and, and how that feeds into your question about mainstream adoption is, is clearly that the mainstream are price conscious as they sh- should be in this country. And so therefore, it's a big hurdle. 
Um, and then, and then other things, I guess, um, you know, product quality clearly as a category we've, we've generally struggled. I think also, um, we've been facing quite, quite new headwinds when it comes to health and nutrition and perception of, of health and nutrition in our products. So we have to work as a category in the next few years to, um, to, to, to sort of win back all of the trust from people when it comes to health and nutrition. Um, so I think that's, that's quite a key one for the next few years. Um, staying on that topic of um, retail, um, what sort of strategies are you implementing to overcome the challenges of distribution and shelf placement um, in traditional retail spaces, considering the dominance of uh, conventional meat products? So um, are you talking about how retailers basically put plant-based products in the plant-based bay, which is away from the meat category? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I guess so. And also how much presence it has in that particular sector i mean my, my local sainsbury's i've noticed that plant-based sector getting quite significantly smaller i think in the last three to six months i don't know if i'm imagining that but um, mm. it's good for you guys because your products take there and it looks like it's taking up more space but yeah yeah that's good well i think um on the whole retailers uh have not shrunk the base much sainsbury's is an exception i believe sainsbury's has actually shrunk base uh in plant -based a fair bit um but other retailers like tesco i don't think they have um as de morrison's i don't think they really have um so on the whole they stay the same um i think for now you know for the foreseeable we're likely to, to keep seeing the plant-based bay being separated from the meat bay tesco as it happens have been experimenting for some time with um a sort of second smaller satellite plant-based bay within the meat area um so i think they're sort of dipping their toe in in terms of uh you know trying to amalgamate the two areas um but i think obviously long-term vision and, and ambition for our category is to have just a protein aisle um where you can get your meat or your plant-based protein or whatever it is you want yeah um how are you addressing the misconceptions and skepticism um, about plant-based products especially regarding taste nutrition or sustainability and the you know how have these perceptions evolved over time do you think i think that um we respond obviously differently to to uh whichever kind of headwind it is that, that you mentioned a few to take the health nutrition one i guess because it's probably the most relevant one today um we are working hard on a new range of products which we plan to launch this year at the end of the year um and they are going to be very health nutrition clean label focused so they'll be very different to what's currently out there on the plant-based market especially in our portfolio there'll be nothing like what we make and um they're going to be like a very clear answer to people's uh concerns when it comes to health and nutrition of plant-based meat alternatives so we've got a very kind of um you know thought through uh definitive response to to those kind of health nutrition uh perception concerns from people and um, when it comes to product quality, I guess we've just really always worked hard to uh, attack that on all different fronts, whether it's like amazing food photography on the pack that tries to get the kind of crave factor going with people, or it's the videos we make where we kind of trick food critics, or we shock people who don't know they're having plant-based food, and we trick them into thinking they're having meat. We've just always worked really, really hard um, to drive home to people that actually this is a new kind of plant-based alternative which will shock you with its quality and its likeness to meat um that's kind of always been our thing as, as well as trying to be funny and entertaining like that's our you know 
our, our main thing is basically our signature move is to try to try and trick our audience um, into thinking they're having meat when they're actually having farm mixed food. Mm-hmm. Um, have you encountered any challenges from the meat lobby? I know this is a, a big thing in the US. Um, you know, a lot of these media campaigns seem to be financed by the meat sector in one way or another. I mean, does that go on in the UK? Or have you encountered any um, resistance or challenges from that traditional meat sector? I think it. I think they fight slightly less dirty over here than in the US. I mean, the US is sort of uh, when it comes to lobbying, it's kind of fairly filthy. I think in terms of uh, um, how how much power, um, how much hidden power as well, the lobbyists kind of have in the US. It's not quite the same, um, to my knowledge, in the UK. But I have started seeing um, pro meat adverts um, by I wouldn't don't know if they're sort of lobbying. I think it might be from Defra, and I don't know who funds it actually. But but I I've seen Richard Ayoade. Is that his name Richard Ayoade? And who's yeah. uh, used to be one of my favourite comedians, and now I don't really like him because he's <laughs> he's the voice of the meat industry on my TV. Um, but um, but yeah, so um, so I think I think they're getting their act together and, and trying to promote meat as a healthy protein source and kind of obviously whitewashing uh the enormous pollution and suffering which goes on in the industry um Mm. but um but yeah it's always kind of expected i guess it's just completely unsustainable isn't it i mean the the way we produce it um you know the water the land usage the 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 feed to feed the cattle to feed us it's just it's just ludicrous and it's only going to get worse over time as the population um, increases that demand for protein goes up and uh, it's just going to go pop it, at some point i would imagine yeah it's very unsustainable um but what what i'm more preoccupied with um is is how industrialized mechanized factory farming which is how most mm-hmm. of us get our meat um that is morally inexcusable um and you know for a nation of supposed sort of animal lovers who all have dogs and cats uh it's it's, you know it's quite surprising how we manage to switch off that part of our consciousness when it comes to what happens to these animals in our factory farms um so yeah i think ethically uh the way we farm most of our um meat is is uh pretty inexcusable ethically yeah that's a little bit off topic but i caught um the new new chicken run film over christmas and um yeah it's uh it's obviously a cartoon but um quite powerful and its message in the way that chicken is produced so um now we mentioned um uh, expanding horizons earlier with products um now what about regions um are you you planning on expanding your global reach yeah we are we're very very kind of uh tentative nigel about that uh we We've kind of gone into the Netherlands this, uh, sorry, last year in September. That's so far going well, but we've got to make sure it sticks and it it, it is a you know sustainable channel for us. So we'll be focusing on that for H1. Um, maybe in H2, we'll look at another territory, but we are in no rush. Um, the UK and the Netherlands are two of the biggest plant-based markets in the world. Uh, there's no reason. If you look at the sort of... Uh, body count on the floor of the plant-based brands over the last couple of years who have uh, fallen away a lot of the problems for them have stemmed from overreaching um uh, in particular you know meatless farm um they, they were in many territories doing not that much revenue in each of them 
And mm-hmm. in my opinion, it's uh, a recipe for uh, challenges. And, and um, if you if you do that, so we are going to be really really careful um, when it comes to expanding internationally and just try and do it really thoughtfully. Yeah. Yeah, don't run before you can walk. Now, funding uh, is a vital component for any business in this sector. I mean, how have you approached investment? I mean, where did you get all the money <laughs> to do what yeah. you've achieved? So, um, yeah, from from different sources. So we've gone to um, individual angels at the beginning. Uh, Pete and I actually sort of, I guess, self-funded the business for the first year or so. And then we went to angels. Um, we went to VC funds. Um, we've gone to uh, crowdfunding a couple of times. Uh, and then we've also gone, um, we've had one or two corporates invest, or in fact, just one corporate, I think, invest uh, in our rounds. So various kind of um, sources of, of funding, I would say. Um, but um, but it's it, it's now a case where we're aiming to get profitable uh, by the end of this year. So we're going to get off the kind of funding merry-go-round finally, I think, uh, if we can achieve our ambitions there. Yeah. I mean, what advice would you have for other startups looking to get up and running in the sector? And if you could go back in time, would you do anything differently? Yeah. Um, so first question, I, I would advise startups getting into the sector now to be very, very conscious of their uni economics and make sure that they are uh, getting out of the gates uh, from day one with a really like healthy gross margin. Um, you know, times have changed and, and you can't just kind of hemorrhage money and focus on growth. Uh, just like, you know, get your VCs to pick up the the bill. Uh, times have changed now. Um, and then in terms of doing things differently, I probably wouldn't do that much differently when it comes to how we built the business. Um, maybe one thing I would change is um, like we um, it took a very long time to hire a senior team. We only just we only just really got around to it like last year sort of thing, um, maybe the end of 22. So I think um, that's led to some problems um, because if you scale a business without a senior team and everyone's quite junior, um, the ways of working can be quite chaotic and um, you're just perhaps unstrategic. Um, So I think if I could turn back time, I would change that to make sure we had a senior team in place earlier. And I see a lot of other founders doing the same thing as well. It's it's really um, a bad error. So uh, yeah, I would definitely change that. I guess you have to bring in expertise from all areas of the business, sort of supply chain, distribution, health and safety, regulations, etc. Yeah, it's pretty much across the board. It's just really important to get um, yeah senior people in earlier, I'd say. Um, I'm wondering if you pay close attention to other pillars of this so-called alternative protein sector, um, such as cultivated meat or fermentation-enabled proteins. Is there anything elsewhere that particularly excites you? I think precision fermentation is an interesting area. It hasn't yet really found its um, feet and it hasn't it hasn't done anything game changing for us just yet, but we're keeping an eye on it. I think cell cultivated meat is interesting uh, and could become relevant in sort of 10 years or whatever. I think it will be a much longer time period before they become commercially and industrially relevant uh, than perhaps most people expect. Um, they're quite famous as a sort of industry for um, slightly over-promising and under-delivering. Um, and I don't want to sort of really criticize, I guess, but I'm just saying um, as, as a business, we are not focused on on that area for, for the near term. There are, yeah. there are kind of quite a few unanswered questions when it comes to how the scaling up is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, cell-based, cell not, not so much. But yeah, fermentation uh, is definitely interesting. 
In this same issue, we've got an article on so-called hybrid foods or blended products. I mean, do you envisage any collaborations between plant-based companies such as yourself uh, and cultivated or even companies producing precision fermentation-based products? That's interesting. Yeah. So um, the only way that cell cultivated products could become commercially relevant is through some sort of blend, whether it's like 5% cultivated and 95% other. Um, again, I'm not sure of the merits of doing that, really. Um, you'd have to have kind of 50-50 and they're nowhere near many many years away from being able to do that in terms of commercial mm -hmm. scale so yeah i'm not sure about that um yeah i guess blended with fermented products could be really interesting i'm not sure right now how and unnecessarily why um mm -hmm. but you know very, we're very open to it um so yeah i'm not sure i'm not very sure about the sort of blended products with uh meat and plant-based which i've seen a couple of i think they're a bit of a um random kind of non-starter for me Mm -hmm. And finally, Andy, what are your future goals or visions for this in terms of expansion, um, product development? And um, well, you've talked about the market reach, just going to walk before you can run. Yeah. So in general terms, I think I would love this to be uh, an absolute global leader in this next wave of alternatives to meat, which I think will be whole food based. So they'll be based on seeds, lentils, uh, that kind of thing. But rather than made in a traditional way, uh, made in a much cleverer, more exciting current way. So I want us to be kind of leaders in that new um, wave of, of alternatives. I think that would be a very exciting outcome for us, um, as well as obviously driving and becoming leaders in our, um, you know, current area of, of meat alternatives. Um, and I think we can be an enormous vehicle for change uh, because of the way we're so mainstream in our positioning and branding. Um, and our product quality uh, and approach to uh, new product development is, 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 I would say, like class leading. So I think all in all, um, I'm very excited and bullish about how much change we can create as a, as a brand going forward uh, and just like getting more and more people in. I mean, once we have that arm of our business for, for that kind of clean label, health focused products, we'll have an answer for everything. We'll have an answer for the people who just really want that taste of meat exactly. And then we'll have an answer for people who actually are just way more focused on going meat free because of health and nutrition. So I, I, I can see us becoming a kind of full, uh, full service uh, offering for anyone who wants to reduce their meat intake. And meat, meat is meat consumption is at its lowest level since kind of modern records began in the UK. Um, and that represents a really exciting opportunity for us, I think, to capitalize on. Well, that's certainly been my motivation for for starting to make the switch. I haven't made it fully yet, but uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Andy, look, thank you very much for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating speaking with you. I wish you all the luck in the world with everything you do this year, and we'll be paying attention to it very, very closely indeed. Um, so thank you very much. Cheers, Nick. Have a good day. It was really good to chat to you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Protein Production Technology International Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and knowledge about the innovative technologies and practices transforming how we produce protein. Don't forget to subscribe to PPTI Magazine and follow us on social media to stay up to date with the latest news and updates. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes.